Thanks, brother. <clears throat> morning, family. Welcome this morning. I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 4 this morning as we continue our time in Ruth. And uh, presumably finish it this morning. Presumably. Ruth, Ruth chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hard-backed black one nearby. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Uh, or if you just want to use it for today, that is okay as well. Ruth chapter 4. We're going to read these verses together, verses 1 through 22, which is the whole chapter. We'll read them together, and at the end of that reading, I'll say that this is the word of the Lord and invite you to respond at that time by saying, thanks be to God. Let's read together. Ruth 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath, and may be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, 
and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So here we come to the end of the book of Ruth. It's taken us a little while, right at about 12 weeks, I think, today. And as we wrap up this book, we see the conclusion to this short story that began with famine and death and widowhood and a sojourning through foreign lands and ends with a homecoming with full barns and a full nursery. Remember, as we said, that though there was so much of this story that was building to an anticipation of a joining of Ruth and Boaz, and this wedding that we were anticipating, that it was not actually the fullness of what we were anticipating truly What we were anticipating was the coming, the advent, if you will, of a newborn son. And here in chapter 4, we see this advent, we see this coming, we see this birth of a son, a son that's born, as the neighbors say, strangely, to Naomi, unto Naomi is born a son. How interesting. Though Ruth gave birth to Obed. And so this morning we're going to walk through this chapter and we're going to see several things, but then bring all that we've talked about to a conclusion and kind of wrap everything together. So look at the first few verses again of chapter 4. And it says that now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so remember, at the end of chapter 3, we see Ruth coming boldly to Boaz, approaching him in the middle of the night. Naomi, her mother-in-law, and her had concocted this this scheme, this plan to to approach Boaz in the dead of night, in in the midnight watch of the night, as he had eaten and drunk his fill. His heart was merry with meat and with wine. And he lays down, it says, at the heap of grain. So literally the fruit of his labor. He lays down in celebration and rest at the, at the foot of the heap of grain, which was the fruit of his labor. And there's much joy in this picture as we see the Lord of the harvest at rest literally in this moment, reigning over the harvest that he has collected. And we see Ruth coming in the night. 
And what had she done? She had taken all, all of the different um, measures that needed to be taken. She had washed herself and bathed. Why? Because as we had heard, she had taken up residence in the field daily, working diligently in the field, uh, implying herself to that industry so that she could care for Naomi. And so the sweat and the dirt and the grime of the field had probably clung to her day after day. And so we see her washing and bathing. We see her then anointing herself with probably pleasant smelling oils and, and, and perhaps maybe in all of this industry that Ruth had applied herself to and in the bringing of leftovers from Boaz's table into the home as she provided for Naomi, perhaps Naomi in her seemingly uh, uh, very attentive plans had maybe been putting aside a bit of that grain that she had been brought and maybe she as Ruth had gone into the fields perhaps Naomi had been going into the market and selling some of that grain and putting some of it aside so that on this day when Naomi as the matriarch of the family would say to Ruth your your time of mourning is complete wash and bathe yourself perhaps she even had a gift some small token of ointment that she could give to herself and said, and here, put this on. He won't be able to resist this, right? Could it perhaps, could it perhaps have been frankincense? We don't know. I'm talking about stuff that's not even in the text. But can you just imagine the anticipation that Naomi must have had? As she instructed Ruth and she gives her this plan, she washes, she bathes, she anoints. We see that she anoints. How? They didn't have money. I'm saying something happened there. And then she puts on an arraignment. Not, not the, the clothes that she had likely worked into rags in the field, but perhaps even the clothes that she had worn in Moab, she, she puts on an arraignment that was pleasing to the eye, and then she goes under cover of darkness, perhaps even under cover of shawl, and goes into the field at night to make a very bold proposal of marriage to Boaz. Now, all through this story, we've been anticipating this moment. We've watched as, as we've seen Boaz's affection, maybe even in a way that Ruth couldn't see it at that time. As we're seeing it through the narrative of the story, we're seeing it unfold and we sense the anticipation. We see the affection and we know, we know already, even as Ruth goes, that we're almost like rooting for it. It's like, okay, Ruth, it's all right. He already loves you. He, all His affections are already set on you. But she goes with trepidation. And she lies at his feet. She uncovers his feet and covers herself with her garment. He awakes at night. And there's this moment of uncertainty. Something that seems to us in our common culture and sensibilities perhaps a little bit scandalous. Because here is this Moabite woman, a woman who is descended from a line of people that came from when Lot's daughters got their father drunk in order to elicit from him without 
his design an heir for themselves through an incestuous relationship. This whole Moabite line of people, this whole nation marked by this gross and wicked indiscretion. And Boaz has drunk his fill. His heart is merry. He's in deep slumber. And here this Moabite woman comes. But was this the same? No, it was not. She comes and even in this moment we see in chapter 3 as he says that this kindness was greater than the first, that her way in doing this was not scandalous, but was actually in keeping with the custom of Israel such that we looked last week in Ezekiel chapter 16 and we saw the Lord of hosts himself using language that described the very picture of what we're given here with Boaz and Ruth of a marriage proposal that was good and right and true It was lovely to borrow Paul's words in Philippians. It was of good report. And everything seems wonderful until Boaz says, but there is a closer redeemer. And then he went further. He said, not only is there a closer redeemer, he says, and if he will redeem you, good. Imagine that on the ears of this young woman as she is bathed and anointed and arraigned herself and gone under cover of darkness and uncovered his feet and laid there and said, will you marry me? And he's like, yes, but there's this other guy and if he'll marry you, then good. I don't think... Young men, that that's what any young woman wants to hear. (laughs) But what was going on here, we we have to remember Ruth chapter 2 verse 1, that as it says, Boaz was a worthy man, and that worthiness was, was of twofold. Not only was he able, from a fiscal and financial point of view, able to redeem Ruth, But he was a worthy man according to his fear of the Lord, his life that was being lived, as we've talked about, which was one of our themes of faithful living. He was living a life that was faithful unto the Lord. He was a worthy man because he feared the Lord. And so when Boaz is saying, if he will redeem you, good, what he's saying is that we must keep in according to God's word and way. That God has set up a plan for in which you may be redeemed. And let's not jump the gun. Let's not get ahead of God's plan. Let's follow His plan and know that even in the moment, if it seems like God's plan isn't what I would choose for my best, we can rest and know assuredly that God, whose knowledge is greater, whose sovereignty is more, knows what is best for us. And so even in this moment, what is happening Boaz is actually immediately taking up the role of leading Ruth in righteousness and in holiness before the Lord. Young women, this is what you should desire more than anything else from a young man, that he would lead you in righteousness and holiness before the Lord. 
not to do things that are jumping ahead of what is God's plan or His way, but rather in keeping with His word, with His will, and with His way, for it is there that blessing resides. And so as we get to Ruth 4, we see this man whom Boaz talked about. Behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Remember, Naomi had said, rest, my daughter, for he will not rest until this is he's taken care of business. And so immediately we see Boaz in the morning going directly to the gate. He gets there before anyone else. He's not willing that this man should pass him by and get to the fields before him. And so he waits, he lies and wait for him there. And as he comes by, something interesting in the book of Ruth, he says to him, turn aside, friend. All through this book, we've been given the names of so many people. In fact, the end of this book ends with a list of names. And all of these names have significance. And even in the story, it's almost been like reading Pilgrim's Progress because of how significant the names of these people have been, not only in giving meaning to their own lives, but also in irony. Remember Elimelech's name. Remember Elimelech who fled the discipline of the Lord, who fled the country of the Lord, who fled from the Lord. His name was, my God is king. It's filled with irony, isn't it? And yet truth, why? Because he was his own God and therefore his own king as he fled from the land of Israel. And yet here we get to Ruth 4 and in a book that has given us so many names, We're greeted with friend. Hey, friend. Interestingly enough, the language that's actually used here in the Hebrew, the the closest that we could get to it is a colloquialism that that would be akin to us saying, Mr. So-and-so. So it's even more than just friend. The, the, The narrator in the story is purposefully not giving him any credence whatsoever. And then Boaz said, hey, so-and-so, come over here. So we could rightfully call him Mr. No-Name. And so Boaz greets Mr. No-Name in the morning and calls him over. And I love the shrewdness. I love the shrewdness that Boaz employs to to kind of lure him in. And as he says, he appeals. What does he appeal? He appeals to the lusts of his flesh. He appeals to his pride and to the lust of his eyes for who had not seen the ground that had belonged to Elimelech and Naomi that had been mortgaged in their departure from Israel who would not have desired to add, even if it was only for 50 years to their family, that land that their family could benefit from the use of that land over that time for more than a generation. And so Boaz brings him in and and he calls in the elders. And it's interesting, he calls in 10 elders. 10 elders. The Old Testament law said that in the mouths of two or three is a thing established. And Boaz is like, hey, y'all, this is going down. I need 10 of you guys right here, right now. 
no one was going to be able to dispute at the end of that day what had taken place and the price that Boaz was going to pay for his bride to redeem her. And so he calls the ten elders and he calls Mr. No-Name, Mr. So-and-so over and and he says, hey, I, I don't know if you noticed, but Naomi's back. Oh, oh yeah, that's, that's right, she is. Did you also know that she's selling the land? Oh, really? Yes, that's right. And you are a redeemer. So, if you want to, buy it. And you can almost see the dollar signs kind of spinning like one of those, those slot machines uh, in this guy's eyes, right? As he's like, and he's, I mean, without hesitation, right? If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And I mean, it de- even, even the ones who came and brought the verse numbers into Scripture couldn't separate what he was saying from the rest of what Boaz is saying. It's like all right there. As, and if you will redeem it, re- and he said, I'll redeem it. <laughs> I mean, it's just right, no hesitation. No, I, yes. Yes, I'll, right now, today. I'll, how much? I'll redeem it. You could see the dollar signs. I'm getting this for a song. Boaz, like a good fisherman, was like, (laughs) hook, line, and sinker. He says, oh, good. Just so you know, in case you've forgotten, Naomi didn't come alone. Perhaps... Perhaps you didn't notice because she's been in the field all day, every day, in my, my field. <laughs> and the day you buy the field, well, you get Ruth as well. The, the, Mo, the Moabite woman. Did you know she was Moabite? The, the Moabite woman. <laughs> you get her. Remember, we talked about the possibility that when Ruth made her proposal to Boaz, it was at least possible that he would have said no. Right? What, what was the risk? What, it seems like a good deal, doesn't it? He, he gets a field. He gets a wife. I mean, come on. But no, in this transaction, the firstborn son in this union will actually inherit everything that he's just purchased. And so whatever wealth that he had accumulated up until that point, if he already had heirs, if he then drained his account to purchase this field along with this woman and actually fulfilled his obligation unlike what happened with Onan, which was a fearful thing. You know the story of Onan, Tamar's husband, brother, as her husband died and he came and rather than fulfilling his obligation, 
as Redeemer. He spilled his seed and God struck him dead. And so the man couldn't rightfully, righteously say, I'll redeem it and then just, you know, have the sidewife thing that he never really visits. He had to fulfill his obligation as redeemer to her. And if he did and she bore a son, then everything that he had drained his account for to purchase would not go to the heirs that he possibly already had, but would go to that heir instead. This was no light thing. And so once Mr. No Name hears that there's more going on here than meets the eye, suddenly you can hear the stutter. Suddenly you can hear the the backpedaling as he's just trying to get out. Because now, not only has he said he would buy it already, but it's been uncovered before the elders of the city that it is actually his obligation as the head of this part of the family to actually redeem it, his family. That if he had had the means by which to do it and refused to do it, which it seems that he had the means to do it, that this would have been a terrible mark on him and on his family. He says, I cannot redeem it, lest I impair my own inheritance. And so you can almost see him getting down on his knees and saying, please, don't only only redeem this woman, but absolve me of my own guiltiness of being unwilling to do it. And Boaz was more than willing to do it. There's great love in these verses, isn't there? I love that Boaz doesn't wait till after the day's work is finished. And Mr. No Name is coming home. And they meet under cover of night and go through some kind of transaction on their own and come to some kind of agreement. Boaz doesn't go back to Naomi and try and work something out with Naomi, but rather, according to God's plan, according to what he's laid out in his word, according to the the way that God has set things up that redemption would take place, Boaz, as a righteous man in the town, comes and he brings the elders, he brings ten of them, he calls the man, he does it in the first part of the day, he does it in the open, he does it in the light, so that darkness cannot cover any of this. And then before the whole assembly, because as we conclude these verses in uh, 7 to 12, there's quite a crowd, it seems, has begun to gather around what's going on here. Because why? Well, what what was happening? 
Well, they were sitting at the town gates, and when the elders sat at the town gates, that's when official business was conducted. In fact, today, in archaeological digs, you can find that there were actually benches built into the gates of these towns and these cities, and it's where the elders would preside over the people and give their judgments, and the court of law was there, and business transactions happened there, and so... Boaz has brought everybody into the court. He's brought them all there. He's set it all up. And before everybody, he says, Today, you are witnesses that I have purchased everything that belonged to Elimelech and to his sons. And also, and I love this, it went without saying It went without saying that he got Ruth. It was part of the deal. He didn't have to say it, but he says, you are witnesses also. Ruth, the Moabite, the widow, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. I mean, even there he's like, you want to know what my intentions are? This is what my intention is to fulfill all that God has called of me so that the name of the dead may not be cut off, verse 10, from among his brothers and from the gate of his native places, native place, you are witnesses this day. And then all the people who are at the gate and the elders say, we are witnesses. And again, In the middle of normal, everyday life, we see people praying for one another. As the people of the city bless Boaz and Ruth and say, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Not like Sarah who only had one son. Not like Isaac, who had two sons, but one of them the Lord rejected. But like Rachel and Leah, who built the house of Israel through their offspring. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so Boaz goes into Ruth. And this wasn't her first wedding day. It wasn't her first time. And yet something different happened. Where before the Lord had stopped up her womb, Now it says, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. She bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, verse 14, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day, without a redeemer. 
and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Obed, which means servant. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The father of Jesus. For Jesus truly was the promised son of David. And so as we close this story, we see everything coming together. And if ever there was a place that we could say, and they lived happily ever after, I mean, it seems like this is it. I mean, it does almost seem like a fairy tale. The foreign woman who worked in the fields becomes a princess. Remember that Boaz was the great-grandson of Salmon. Or sorry, the the son of Salmon, the son of Rahab and Salmon. Salmon was the prince of Judah. And so Obed becomes the grandson of the prince of Judah. It's a fairy tale. Everything that was lacking in the beginning we see filled up. A husband and a son for Ruth in verse 13. In verses 14 through 17, a son for Naomi. And in verses 18 through 22, in the genealogy that's listed there, we see a son for Israel. Because again, this story has no real significance apart from this genealogy at the end of the book. Without this genealogy, it's just a good story. Even from a Jewish perspective, no significance apart from these last few verses that point to David. But from a Christian perspective, even more significance. Because we are not looking back, hoping only to see David, but to see the Son of David, the Son of God, which is Jesus. And so in verse 22, in the period of verse 22, after the word David... In that period, we see a son for ourselves. We're reminded of Jesus. Because Jesus is our promised son and redeemer. I want you to see a few things before we get to the close. Notice the reversal. From the beginning of the story, we were introduced to certain characters in a particular um, pattern. Naomi came first, and then Ruth, and then Boaz. And then the writer of this story then has them exit in the reverse order that we saw them appear. There's a reversal of things that's taking place. And with each exit, we're seeing something very Particular, and I want you to see this before we get to the close. 
And so when we get to chapter 4 in a story that's named Ruth, we would expect to almost hear more about Ruth, but Ruth is almost hardly mentioned in chapter 4. Rather, there's an inordinate amount of time spent discussing Boaz, whom we had been introduced to last. And here, as we see the last glimpse of Boaz, what do we see taking place? We see Boaz with joy entering into something that for him can only be described as him receiving great blessing from the Lord. Not only is he receiving a wife and land, he receives a son to inherit that land that would be the fulfillment of the obligation that he was seeking to fulfill. We see Boaz blessed. Why is that important? Well, it's important because in our very introduction to Boaz in chapter 2, as he enters into the field, he, he goes into the fields and he speaks to his, his workmen, to his reapers, and, and he says, the Lord be with you. And we see his workers respond in this blessing of prayer to him. And what do they say? They say, and the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you, Boaz. And as Boaz exits the stage, what do we see has happened? God has filled Boaz's life with blessing. The second person to enter the story is the second person to leave the story as this reversal takes place. And this is, again, one of these things. The writer is using this tool to kind of describe something for us. And as Ruth leaves, we see her leaving with something. She's not leaving empty-handed, but she's leaving not only with a husband, not only with food, but with a son. Not only that, but do you think the labor of Ruth's life after that point looked the same as her labor before that point? No. Not on your life. Because likely she had a husband who after he brought her into his home said, my daughter, my bride, my wife, rest, rest, rest. Does that mean that she sat around eating bonbons? No. <laughs> but the labor of her life would have looked different after that time. And why is that important? Why is that important to see that Ruth is leaving not only with husband on arm, babe in her other arm, but at rest? Why is it so important that we see that and recognize that she's leaving in rest? Because is that not in chapter 1 what Naomi maybe even half-heartedly? Don't you, aren't you so thankful that God even hears our half-hearted prayers? 
perhaps even half-heartedly. Naomi prays for her daughters-in-law in chapter 1, verse 9. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. The Lord grant that you find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. Now remember, when Naomi said that, she was trying to compel Ruth and Orpah to go back to Moab. She was trying to compel them to go back to Moab, go back to the land of your fathers, go back to your gods in in Moab. And Ruth refused. She refused. What did Ruth say? Ruth said, no. Ruth said, no, I will not go. I will go with you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die and they bury you, I will die and there be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. I don't think Naomi even understood fully what she was praying as she said, the Lord grant you rest in the house of your husband. Go where the Lord isn't. But God had another plan and his plans are never thwarted and he put inside of Ruth a new heart. He took her heart of stone and he does what he does best. He gave her a heart of flesh. A heart that hates what God hates and loves what God loves. And says, I will follow you. And so as we see Ruth exit stage left, we see her enjoying the answer to Naomi's maybe even half-hearted prayer that she would find rest in the home of her husband. And then Naomi. But who prayed for Naomi? We could say maybe she prayed for herself. We could say maybe even in what she said as she came into town and people said, is this Naomi? And she said, don't don't call me. Don't call me Naomi. That means sweetness. Call me Mara. Call me Mary in the Greek. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? This is how we see Naomi enter the scene. But who prayed for Naomi? 
How wonderful is it to have a God who intercedes on our behalf. Who even because of the circumstances of life, we may look and say, it seems like, it seems like the Lord has testified against me. If only she knew that there was a son who was coming who would speak a better word. There was a son who was coming who would speak a better word than the word that she could speak about herself. Call me Mara, call me bitter. And there was a one who was coming who would say, I was the rock in the wilderness. I was the rock in the wilderness that flowed sweet water. And it was me that brought sweetness to the bitter waters of Mara that you are remembering when you say, call me Mara. It was me. And just as that wood was cast into those bitter waters, I will come through the waters of Mara, through the bitter waters of the birthing canal to Mary, I will come. And in my birth, I will condescend, but in my death, I will go further. And the cross of my death will be the wood that brings sweetness to the bitterness of this life. So that you, Naomi, can exit stage left, not empty, but full. So that even as the neighborhood women sing over you, unto Naomi is born a son. My prophets will declare over the nation of Israel, unto us a son is given, to us a child is born. We see Boaz blessed. We see Ruth having experienced the kindness of the Lord. We see her also receiving refuge under the shadow of his wings. We see Naomi exiting full. For truly a son has been born to Naomi. Sweetness has come. It's come in the form of a son a son in the line that stretches from Adam to Jesus, brought into the royal line of the Messiah. And the son's name is Obed, servant. Servant. As the son born of Mary was to be for us a servant. The suffering servant born to a virgin who would come to us to be one of us and suffering in our place to take away our sin. You know the story. Matthew chapter 1, the continuation of the genealogy that starts in the book of Ruth and continues until it gets to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall name, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus is the son born to us, our Goel, our Redeemer. I want you to follow this. In chapter 4, we've seen every one of our themes, emptiness to fullness, The cost of disobedience by Mr. No-Name. Did you catch that? He gets nothing for the cost of his disobedience. God's sovereignty in all of it, bringing Boaz and Ruth together and presiding over that union and bringing a son. The reward of faithful living as Boaz does everything according to God's way and ultimately bringing about what this whole thing has been about, redemption. But I want you to see our themes in a different way this morning as we close. As we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 last week, I want to read that to you again. And I actually want to ask you as a body to memorize 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Maybe make it a a goal for the new year, maybe for the month of January, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For it is here, I think, succinctly we see exactly what is played out in the book of Ruth. By Boaz for Ruth, we see the meaning of it all for us. For 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul writes and he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I'll read it again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You see, Christ, our Redeemer, Follow me now. According to the sovereignty of God, through His own faithful living, His condescending birth, His substitutionary death, His burial, and His resurrection has paid the price for the cost of our disobedience. And through His 
redemption has brought us and all who will believe into him from emptiness to fullness. Praise be to Christ. Praise be to Christ, our Redeemer, who through the sovereignty of God, by his own faithful living for us and on our behalf, has paid the price of the cost of our disobedience and has redeemed us and brought us from emptiness to fullness. If you have not experienced that fullness, it is because you have not yet submitted yourself to this Redeemer. Remember that in order for Ruth to find her Redeemer, she had to leave her past life behind. And that is our call, each and every one of us, to repent of our sin and to believe in Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself has promised in John 6 that all who the Father has given him will come to him. And anyone, 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 anyone who comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this beautiful picture that you've given us in the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, this picture of redemption, this foreshadowing of the work that you would work out for us eternally that was temporarily foreshadowed for us here. I pray, God, that you would use this story in our hearts to inspire us, to give us, God, a a vision for what our lives are meant to be. As your bride, may we not spin our wheels in toil under the curse of sin, working in some way to try and make peace for ourselves, but rather enter into the rest that has been won for us by Christ. May we rest in His finished work as He, the true Lord of the harvest, reigns over His creation May we as his bride enter into a place of worshipful, active, rejoicing rest. Father, I pray for any of those who are here today who have not found that rest, who have not found that empty place of their heart filled by a Redeemer that today, God, you by the power of the Holy Spirit would do what you do best. Take a heart that loves sin, a heart of stone, and give them a heart of flesh 
that hates what you hate and loves what you love. 